they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. <clears throat> for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. You might have noticed we were singing in many different languages this morning, more than usual even. That was intentional to uh, bring attention to the reality that the family of God is uh, multinational, multilingual, multicultural. In fact, this passage in the book of Revelation tells us that every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation will be represented in the people of God. One of the things I very much appreciate about this fellowship, this small body of the great body, is uh, how many... How many tribes and tongues and peoples and nations are represented even in this fairly small gathering? And uh, so uh, we want to draw attention to that. <clears throat> also, along those lines, uh, we received uh, this week uh, an update from our missionary, Rosalba Mendoza, who serves on the Logos Hope ship, and she sent us a newsletter, a report of the visit of the ship to Argentina and Mar del Plata. Sorry, I'm sure I'm not saying that with the right accent. Uh, the ship was there visiting from the 24th of July to the 20th of August uh, in that city in Argentina. And uh, so you can read a very brief report of that. One of the things I love about this is there's a, there's a little uh, item on the back about crew members uh, learning to surf. Just think, if you are a missionary, you get to learn to surf. Well, anyway, if you were there this week, because they were... Uh, they, they wanted to participate in a surfer's Bible study. So I want you to notice, this goes along with what I'm saying. I don't know what you're, you enjoy doing or what you're passionate about, but whatever it is uh, could probably be used in the service of the gospel, no matter what it is even surfing. So, in any case, I encourage you, I've made, I've made several copies of this, and I put them back there on the table. You can get all these details. Uh, they, 
they uh, had 62,695 visitors during the time they were in uh, Argentina, and uh, they distributed a lot of books, a lot of Bibles, a lot of other Christian literature, and so uh, it's a very encouraging report. Uh, next week, I hope to have uh, uh, the newsletter from Rosalba herself, or just her personal update. This is really more about the ship, uh, their ministry there in Argentina. God is uh, at work in the world. He's busy. And he uh, gives us the opportunity to participate with him in the things he is doing. And uh, here in the body of Christ, he is forming the new family, the family of God. And uh, that is who we are. And uh, we've been uh, working to sort of wrap up this summer series now that we're halfway through September about the family of God. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, maybe I can uh, get through the rest of this today. Just for uh, review's sake, uh, we asked the question last week, where's your home? And we remembered the story of the prodigal son. And it says in the text, when he came to his senses, he decided to go someplace. Where did he go? He went home. He went to that place where he thought he could count on an unconditional acceptance. He was willing to have even just the acceptance of a worker said, maybe my father will hire me. I guess nobody else would hire him. He was out of money. He was living. He was living on the leftovers of livestock. So he thought, even if my father treats me like one of his workers, one of his lowest workers, I will still be better off than this. But what kind of reception did he receive? Not that one. Because his father's acceptance, his father's love was not conditional. So when he returned, his father was overjoyed. This is the sort of acceptance we have in the body of Christ from the father. Now you might remember in that story, the sort of reception he got from his brother was somewhat different. And I want you to know the point of that story and Jesus telling it was, don't be the older brother. He was telling that story to a bunch of Pharisees who were like the older brother and whose 
acceptance whose love was conditional and jealous and envious and, you know, he wasn't that happy to see his brother, especially after his father threw him this party because, you know, if anyone deserved a party around here, it was me. And he operated in relation to his father, his father, on a system of merit, of deserving what he gets. He did not realize that everything he had was a gift. The younger brother knew that anything he got was grace. And the point of Jesus telling the story was, don't be the older brother. And I want to say to you here in church, don't be the older brother. Here in church, you might think somebody over there is, you know, what are they doing here? They don't deserve this. I just want to point out to you, none of us deserve it. There is no deserving in the family of God. There's only a great father, an Abba, who graciously gives us in Christ everything. And even if you think you're a pretty good person and you might deserve something from God, you are incorrect in everything you got, even your ability to do things that God likes came from him in the first place. Everything good that you have, you have because it was given to you. including your own capacity to go out and get good things for yourself. So, we want to remember we're the, we're the tribe of Abba, the people of the one little word, Abba. We are the praying people. We are not the deserving people. We're the praying people. The people who have experienced God's great generosity in Christ. This is who we are. No longer slaves, beloved children. Simple trust, resting in Christ. We are the people, that we are the prodigal son family. We are the people who have come home in Christ. Everything else, everything else, everything else grows from that. So last time we noticed that Christ is our source and he's our source of security. And I want to say to you, he's our source of security first before he's our source of anything else. Because everything else comes from that. He is our place of safety. 
He is our place of reconciliation to a righteous, holy, judging God. If you are not in Christ, you are in the bad weather of God's wrath. I'm reminded of those people in the Bahamas who were plastered by that hurricane for days and days and days. And I want to tell you the power of that destructive force was literally nothing compared to the judgment that is upon people from God. Romans 1 says the wrath of God is poured out against all ungodliness. And if we don't come under the shelter of Christ, we are still out there in the hurricane of God's wrath. But if we are in Christ, we are safe, 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 in every way safe, secure. And so we know the love of God in Christ, and so we find freedom from our fears. We talked about a couple of those fears, a fear of failure. What if I try and I can't do it? Well, what if you try and you can't do it and you're safe in Christ? What if your whole life is a big giant failure except in the end you are in the fellowship of God and Christ in the kingdom of Christ for all eternity? Then I say to you, your failure in this life is not of much importance. And you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid of it. You know what's funny is when you're not afraid of failing, you get bold. You get confident. If I, if I mess this up, you know, it doesn't actually matter that much. Well, then I can try this. I can see if I will not mess it up. If I'm afraid of failing, then I don't even try. And guess what I'm doing then? Failing anyway. So the fear of failure is a giant nonsense if I know Christ. If I am in Christ, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love makes me bold to do what I'm called to do. Some things we're called to do are scary, hard to do, and we might not succeed. Sometimes God announces, you know, what he said to Isaiah and to Jeremiah. I think we mentioned this last time. He said, I need you to go say this message, preach this, preach my discipline on the house of Israel. Oh, and by the way, no one's going to pay any attention. He told them that at the beginning. He said, this will fail. It's not their problem. Our great calling in this life is to announce the gospel to every living creature, the good news of God's grace poured out in Christ, we get afraid to do that. What if I say it and they reject the message? I'm safe in Christ. It's still good news. 
We get afraid of rejection. What if they don't like me? What if I put on my best clothes and they still don't like me? Every time I see a picture of myself, I get worried about this. Have you ever had this experience? This is true confession time now. I'll be like walking down the street and then there's a window, you know, and you look over. Have you ever had that experience? Like, wow, when did I get so fat? We're afraid of this. We're afraid of how people will think of us. But you in Christ have the unconditional, and I, oh, I wish I could say that like we could all get it, you know? Like really, really unconditional? Like actually unconditional? Like totally grounded in the work of Christ and not depending in any way upon you or what you do or your character or anything about you, but only on Him? And He's perfect and He did it perfectly and He gave His life a sacrifice for sin. So unconditional acceptance. Unconditional love from God Almighty well, then I don't really need yours that bad. You know, what I've noticed is when I don't need yours, I get it. When we let go of our fear of rejection from people, people don't reject us so much. People who live out of the love of God are loving people. They're boldly loving they're risky loving. And you know what? People love that. But even if I don't get it, I mean, Christ loved everyone he laid eyes on with perfect love and they crucified him. So even if I don't get it from the people around me, I have it from God Almighty. So I'm safe. We are safe in Christ. We're safe in Christ even when we don't notice it. But noticing it is the beginning of everything else. Resting in my position in Christ is the whole thing. Looking to God the Father in Christ by the Spirit who now has indwelled my life, looking to God for everything is the whole thing and everything else I think, do, receive, give is a gift based on that rest in Him, that living from my secure, promised position in God. You know, your salvation depends only on the truthfulness of the Word of God. And if you find yourself doubting, ask yourself, is he a liar? And if your answer to the question is, God is not a liar, you're safe. Because God says, when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are safe, period, end of story. Nothing can threaten that ever, ever, ever. Safe. So if he's not lying, you're safe. And it is from that, from being in this family of God, 
and that everything else proceeds. My righteous behavior proceeds from my safety in Christ. My correct thinking and understanding proceeds from my safety in Christ. My power to do what's right proceeds from my resting in my safety in Christ. Security is the beginning. And that leads to a certain understanding of the world. Paul prays in the first chapter of Colossians that we would be uh, understanding, our understanding would be in the framework of the gospel. How do you see the world? How do you figure things out? What's your big picture? The big picture is the story, the Bible story of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. That is the big picture. Now, lots of people have different ways of looking at the world, but that is the actual way. Or the whole thing is a hoax, a lie. The story God is telling is that story. The story in which he, before he even started making things, chose us in Christ. Safe. 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 And that is how I view the world in Christ. That is how I look at other people with the eyes of Christ. My understanding is a Christian understanding informed by this magnificent book, the Scriptures, the Holy Word of God. That is one reason for read your Bible, pray every day, read your Bible. Let me ask you, how, how well do you know it? How well, you know, Bob had this idea, we put this thing in the bulletin every Sunday now. It's a little Bible quiz question. Today's question is, what city was Paul in when he preached to the Areopagus, Mars Hill? No, I'm not going to make the answer. If you don't know, he gives you the text. You can go look it up. Do you know what's in there? You know, sometimes read your Bible, especially we make this rule, read your Bible every day, read your Bible every day. And uh, we think, well, that's like something, it becomes religious. Let me tell you if, you, if it becomes religious, that's less than ideal. On the other hand, I think even if it's religious, you might be getting your brain into the book, and you might be getting the book into your brain, and at some point God will straighten out that religious thing and you'll be okay. It's a question of, do you even are you familiar with the content of it? Here's a question. Which, which of these two people lived first, Job or Moses? You know, in the Bible, the book of Job comes well after the books of Moses, but you know, Job lived about the same time as Abraham, way before Moses. Did you know that? Well, and if I asked you about Josiah and Hezekiah, I don't even know the answer to that. 
And I went and studied this stuff for years and years. Well, you know, does it matter? Not really that much. The question is, how well do you know it? You can't get enough of Scripture into you. It's the Word of God. It frames our understanding of everything else. It is the lens. And the story of the Word of God is the story of Jesus Christ. Let's just be clear about that. It is not the story of Job or Moses. Job and Moses get us to Jesus, and Jesus is the, the hero of the story. All the time, every time. And so, the more I understand this great sweep of this epic history, the more I see the greatness of Christ, the more I see the greatness of his sacrifice, the more I dwell in the love of God in Christ, everything's framed in my understanding of everything. And that comes to bear even when I study math. Whatever I'm learning goes in that framework. When I study math, I see the I see the rich structure of all creation. And it's creation. And as I am secure in Christ, and as my understanding grows in Christ, Christ becomes the source of my direction in life. And we see this in Romans chapter 12, that famous text that says, okay, so all this gospel is true, then what? And Paul says, well, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable or pleasing to God, which is your reasonable spiritual worship service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we were just talking about. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, that is, by testing, see what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. What is the right way to act? What is the good way to act, the way that will benefit someone? The pleasing way to act, the perfect, complete, leaving nothing out way to act. Well, it's according to the will of God. How do you know what that is? According to this, you... You see it by testing, by the experience of life. You grow as you are secure in Christ and as your understanding of the world comes through the lens of Christ who says, I am the truth. The way your, your perception becomes true, more realistic. And so you see how to act. You don't need some magical bop on the head from the Holy Spirit to, to give you some sort of magical insight of this is the will of God or that is. You see it because you are a spiritual person transformed in your thinking by the word of God. 
Now, sometimes the Spirit directs because, you know, he's got something he needs now. But the biblical way, the biblical approach of your direction in life is not magical. It's the development of spiritual wisdom and understanding. How do you decide what to do? Deciding what to do begins with knowing to whom you belong. It is about resting in Christ. It is about knowing that in this decision I'm making today, I could decide this or that. I could decide wrong and everything will be fine. Because I'm resting in the secure place I have in Christ. You know, when I have that security, I have the liberty and the power I need to make what looks like the wise decision to me and be fine in my direction. And so my security leads to a certain understanding and that leads to a certain direction in life. In Christ, you belong to God and so do the rest of us here. And so we belong to each other in the Abba family. And so we no longer believe that the world can or should direct our lives. Do not be conformed to this world. It is utter foolishness to be conformed to this world. The world is full of the foolish people. The church are the wise people. You know, I trusted in Christ when I was five years old. And so I was an ill-informed child. I didn't really have a lot of wisdom. But one thing I think I could say about myself, when I was five years old, when I trusted in the Lord, I was at that moment wiser than the, than the professor with six PhDs who doesn't know Jesus. He, he knows a lot about the world. And he is a fool because he has not given himself to Christ and he is lost and under God's judgment. Complete idiot. I don't think the world should direct my life. But you know what? I fall for it all the time. Dummy, I have the Word of God. I have my secure place in Christ. I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. I can live according to the wisdom I have in Christ and live wisely and direct my life wisely according to those things. The world tells you you should always direct your life so as to maximize your financial well-being. In Christ, I can quit my job <laughs> and not knowing where I'm going to get the money, go to seminary school for three and, two and a half years. In Christ, I could hear my pastor say one day, why don't you be our youth pastor 
Oh, and by the way, we don't know if we can pay you. We'll have to take an offering every week for that. And I can say, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And by the way, if the Lord doesn't pay me, then we'll know better. Either way it works out, I'm fine. In Christ, I can stand there in that failing business and say, what if they get all our money? And then say, oh yeah, that wouldn't be any big deal because I'm in Christ. The world says you need to get your stuff together so that you can build up a big pile of cash. The Word of God says, you know, a big pile of cash could just wash away one day into total oblivion. You certainly don't want your security in that sort of thing. How do you direct your life? You don't need the world directing your life. The world is foolish. Instead, we see the goodness of God's will and we follow. Here's something I've discovered in my life. Every now and then, the Lord confronts me with a challenging decision. Where his direction seems clear and dumb. The Lord, you know, directed me to be a youth pastor with no salary. That just doesn't seem that smart. Seems to have worked out okay now, though. The Lord directed me as a youth pastor to take a bunch of teenage kids from white, upper-middle-class suburban America to the second-poorest country in the Western Hemisphere in 1986. We, we flew through El Salvador and went to Honduras, and in El Salvador, for the very first time, I saw men in the airport with machine guns because in El Salvador they were having a civil war at the time. Doesn't seem that smart. And if you saw the airplane that we flew from El Salvador to Honduras in, you'd say, well, that wasn't very smart. And I was flying with, with six other people's kids and two other crazy grown-ups into Honduras to go in through a security and a customs service. We didn't speak Spanish. Those guys certainly aren't going to speak English, even if they do know how. I didn't know what I was going to do, honestly. Didn't seem smart. But here's something. While we were flying from El Salvador to Tegucigalpa, that's like a half-hour flight, so it's one of those, like flying to Curacao. Well, Aruba. As we're taking off in this airplane that every second I thought maybe a chicken was going to run across the aisle, Here comes another airplane by us. Like, I could see the heads of the people in the window of the other airplane. Too close. I looked at the guy sitting next to me. His name was Bill. Bill used to be an Air Force pilot. And I said to Bill, 
that was close, wasn't it? Because, you know, I don't know, but he knows. And he said, yeah. In the, in, in the United States, this little incident could have been on the news. And it occurred to me right then, you know, we could die out here. And then it occurred to me right then, wouldn't that be great if you were doing this when you died? If you were doing exactly, exactly what you knew God directed you to do, if you were up to that when you died, wouldn't that be fantastic? Wouldn't that be how you would want to go? Because in spite of all of those foolish things about that little adventure, I mean, from a worldly perspective, this was a dumb idea. But in spite of that, it's what God directed. And I had pretty good confidence that this is what God directed. And if I happen to die or any other bad thing happens while I'm doing exactly what God asked me to do, perfect. Have you had that kind of experience? You can, if you haven't. All you got to do is say, well, I guess I'll just do whatever I believe God is directing me to do. You know, you can be wrong about that. You could be wrong. You could believe God has directed you to do this and he didn't direct you at all. But you're safe in Christ, so so what? You're good either way. And God, one thing he does like is that you like doing what he likes you doing. So if you're doing your best to live according to the direction you see or have, you're all good even when you're completely wrong. Do you realize the power of that? That you can just go, I'm going this way because I'm pretty sure that's what God... Did you say that, God? Okay. I, I'm pretty sure... So I am going this way, and I am going with my head down at full speed. And if I'm wrong, he'll work it out. Which he will. Because you are safe in him. So you can operate on the understanding you have with boldness and courage, and you'll still be safe, even when you turn out to be completely wrong. Have you had God correct you? Have you made a decision and gone this way and then later it didn't seem so much like the Lord's direction? No big deal. That's okay. But Christ is your source of security and because He's your source of security, He's your source of understanding of the world, your, your sight, your vision, we walk by faith, not by sight. You remember that one? We walk in the direction that faith leads. We have, because we have a certain understanding, we have a certain direction. 
And because we have a certain direction, we have power. Power. Do you see how empowering it is to have the assurance of God's acceptance, His love, His grace, His salvation in your life? Do you see how powerful it is that because you have that position of security, you see the world in a whole new way and you live your life according to that vision and that security and so you can make a decision. You are not paralyzed by fear. And because you have that direction, you have power. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, there's a famous text. It says this. It is God who is at work in you, both to will, that's to decide, and to act, to work for his good pleasure. You know who leads us in all of this? Who's in, under, around, above, all over, every aspect of your life? If you are in Christ, God is. He's your Abba. You think he's waiting for you to come and pray before he does the right thing by you? Well, if he did, it'd never be done. Because the one who works in you to know to pray is him. The one who works in you to do anything in his direction is him. It's God who calls you to Christ. It's the Father who gives you to Christ. It's the Spirit who opens your eyes and gives you the heart of faith to trust in Christ. It's all from Him from beginning to end. The question now, we had the question, what are you afraid of? We had the question, uh, how do you understand or see the world? We had the question, how do you decide what to do? And now we have the question, where do you find the strength? When I was uh, 42, the Lord directed me to quit my job, which paid pretty good, which I've been doing for a long time, which I really actually loved, and go to school for three and a half years and spend more money than I had at the time to go to school. So I had this much money, and the school I already knew was going to cost this much money, about twice as much. What am I going to do? Say no? In a similar way, a few years ago, in 2011 or so, the Lord directed me to quit my job, which I had loved and which I had been doing for a long time, in a church which I loved and had been in since I was 15 years old, was my family, and to leave that place and come here. What was I going to do? Say no? Well, no. When you have the Lord's clear direction, you don't say no. Do you? The question then is, how? How do I do that? The answer to my question is, I have no idea. 
I don't know how I do that. The strength is from Him. The direction is from Him. The power is from Him. He says, I give you the desire, the will, and the power, the work. It's God who works in you both to will and to work. The work I do is the work He does. If if it is for his good pleasure. You see, God's working in us works in a particular direction. God's working in us does not work in other directions than his good pleasure, what pleases him, the things he enjoys. You see, all things, all things, all things from ever to ever, all things are for the pleasure of God. For His glory. So, when I am working in some other direction, I do not expect Him to be working in me to work in some direction other than His direction. Well, that would be crazy. His work works in a specific direction. So when we find our security in Him and our understanding of the world in Him and we direct our lives according to those things, He works in us. Do you want to see what you can do or what God will do in you, using you? I want, to see the, I want to see the power of God at work through my life. Now, the power of God is not always super visible. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's a great, 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 great power and you can't tell. Each one of us, at one moment in our lives, was talking to somebody, and that somebody shared the good news of God's grace in Christ with us, and the lights went on, and we, got, we said, oh, yeah. And we trusted in the Savior in that moment. It might have even been kind of an awkward conversation. And that person might have been sharing with us and not really felt very confident that they were doing what God directed. And God works. And I want to tell you that whatever happens in a person's soul that brings them to faith in Christ is the most powerful power that can possibly be imagined. And what you're seeing there is some kind of tsunami of spiritual life. That is beyond your imagination. And yet that happened in the lives of each one of us who know Christ. To will and to work according to His good pleasure. His power operates in a certain direction. And that direction flows from a certain understanding. And that understanding is grounded in a secure 
home. That's what we want to see happening in this fellowship. That. A secure home. Now, just briefly, if I act like the big brother, that's not helping. The home was still secure. But the big brother wasn't helping. It was secure for him too. But he wasn't helping. So I want to just ask you, don't treat each other like the big brother. Like somehow you got to deserve to be here. Nobody here has to deserve to be here. Not even a little. You are welcome at the cross of Christ. I don't care what you've done, where you've been. I don't care if you did it this morning. You are welcome at the cross of Christ. If you come to Christ in faith, you are accepted by God no matter what. It doesn't matter how bad you are. And honestly, if we start comparing how bad we are, we better put Christ on the scale next to us because that levels the whole thing. So, don't be the big brother. You're just kind of in the way at that point. Be the little brother all the time. All, all, all the time. You know, the little brother, it wouldn't be a good thing for him to grow up and become the big brother. The good thing is, every day he's there from now on, he knows what a gift it is to be there. Every day from now on. Every day from now on, do you know what a gift it is that you can come into the family of God and receive the warm embrace of Abba? No matter where you've been or how dirty you are that day, it's power. It's power for life. And that's what we want happening in this church. So I just invite you to come home every Sunday. Come home. Doesn't matter. You, I know you screwed up. So did I. We're just coming home. We're going to celebrate the goodness of God's love. We're going to sing songs. We're going to sing songs in the languages I don't even understand. We're going to enjoy each other's company. We're going to hug each other. We're going to say, yeah, it's all right. The grace of God is here. You are welcome. You are welcome. So come on home. Father, we give you thanks for the goodness of your grace, for letting us in on it, for giving us a place, a part, a thing to do, a way to participate with you in the mission to bring this grace everywhere and Lord, we give you thanks for each other. Lord, help us to see the operation of your grace in each other's lives. Help us to call it out. Help us to love each other like you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.